Thanks, John. Uh, our habit as a church is to take a book of the Bible uh, and work our way through it. Uh, we believe the Bible is God's word and that he speaks to us uh, through it. So if you do have a Bible, please keep it open there at 1 John. Um, but because it's God's word, I'm going to pray and ask him for help as we look at it. Let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you that you are a God who speaks Uh, that you don't leave us in the dark, uh, but you reveal yourself to us. Uh, And we pray that you would uh, make yourself known uh, through your word today. Uh, And we ask, Lord, too, as we look at quite a challenging part of the Bible, uh, that you would help us with that too. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the, The internet says... Uh, to introduce yourself professionally in an interview, start with a polite greeting. Hello. Uh, state your full name. My name is Jonathan William Bunell. I don't know that you needed my middle name, but anyway. Uh, mention your educational background and relevant work experience. Well, I was an electrician. Uh, I studied theology. I've worked for some churches. Highlight key skills and strengths. It's a bit hard, that one, isn't it? Can we come back to that? Uh, Briefly share your career objective. I don't know about career, uh, but I want people to know and love the Lord Jesus Christ and and to, to be growing in relationship with him and express your gratitude for the opportunity. Well, I'd like to thank you all very much for the opportunity to be interviewed uh, today. How do you introduce yourself? Uh, Not just in the the job interview, but more broadly, who are you? Uh, What defines you? I'm a farmer. I'm a a nurse, a doctor, a school teacher, I'm unemployed, I'm retired. Definition uh, by career, occupation. Or definition by interests and gifting. I'm sporty, I'm funny, I'm a gamer. Definition by stage life. I'm a kid, I'm a young adult, I'm middle-aged, you know. Defined by family role, I'm mum. I'm a dad, I'm a brother, a sister, an auntie, a a cousin. Definition by nationality, sexuality, religion. I'm Aussie, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm Christian, I'm Buddhist, I'm atheist. Or just definition by how great you happen to think you are. Uh, I'm the man. Identity is really important to us, isn't it? And there's so many different aspects to how we perceive ourselves. And this afternoon, as we kind of continuing in this letter written by the Apostle John, one of those first eyewitnesses of Jesus' life and teaching, he says something quite challenging about identity. If your Bible's there, just look with me at chapter 3, verse 10. I think this really narrows in on it. He says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. The Bible's position is that when it comes to identity, no matter how we may choose to introduce ourselves, 
no matter how we define ourselves, when you boil it right down, there are only two primary possibilities. Child of God or child of the devil? Whose family are you in? And while we might balk at that language, I know that I do, I don't think I'd ever want to call someone the child of the devil. You remember the context of this letter that John is he's writing to give the believer assurance of their salvation in Jesus. John's gospel was written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God, and have life in his name. And then 1 John is written that the person who believes in Jesus might have assurance of their salvation. And in the original context, there were those false teachers withdrawing from the church, or more specifically, withdrawing from the apostles' teaching. They didn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the God-man, despite the eyewitness account. And so last week, if you were here, John called these false teachers antichrists. That is, they were offering up something different to Jesus. A love for the world rather than a love for God. And maybe these false teachers look powerful, uh, flashy, together. They may have interviewed really well. Lots of skills and, and strengths to be rattled off. And this would have been unsettling for the church. Who is right? Is it the departed ones? Or is it us who believe in this Jesus, the, the God-man? And John says to his reader, you remain in Jesus. Don't get led off someplace else. In verse 28, you have a look there of chapter 2. He says, and now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. You notice that John is setting his readers' sights on the life which is to come, which will be ushered in with Jesus' return. He said earlier in this chapter that the world and its desires will pass away, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these things will, will pass away, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. John sets our sights on eternity. And this is helpful as it's possible that his readers were feeling pretty ordinary, looking pretty ordinary, wondering, can I be sure? Yes, I believe in Jesus, the God-man, and I trust him, but, but can I be sure? And compared to those false teachers confidently living it up, claiming to be right with God while also doing whatever they like. So John reminds his readers of who they are, identity. And as he does, he introduces this new concept in his letter. You see verse 29 of chapter 2. I'll read. He says, If you know that he is righteous, that is God, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. John's saying, uh, his readers, you, you, my readers, would agree God is righteous. Uh, 
this idea that God's character and God's ways, according to the Bible, define what righteousness actually is. How do we decide what, what is right and wrong? Is that up to me? Is that up to you? Well, according to the Bible, the powerful and loving God who made us, he's the one who shows us. And so if you see someone, says John, living a righteous life, it's right to think, I wonder, are they born of God? It's a weird term, isn't it? Born of God. What, what does it mean? Well, John lingers here for three verses, those first three verses of chapter three. Just look there, I'll read. He says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. I don't know if you pick this up, but we're, we're kind of in the realm of the question of what is a Christian? What on earth is a Christian? And there are different ways to answer that. Uh, a Christian is someone who acknowledges that they're sinful, chapter one. None of us are perfect. But Jesus, the only perfect one, the righteous one, fully God and Fully man dies the death we deserve. God can't just sweep our sin under the carpet as though it doesn't exist. He's loving, but he's also just. And so at the cross, Jesus takes on himself the penalty that we deserve so that all those who come to him saying, Lord, forgive me, help me live for you, all those people are Christians. A Christian is a forgiven sinner. And that's a true and helpful definition. You want to know what a Christian is? It's someone who views themselves as a sinner, forgiven through the sacrificial death of Jesus. But John wants us to see that the saving work of Jesus, that there's something bigger going on than just the forgiveness of sins. There's a complete identity change. From being sinners who can have nothing to do with this righteous God set to face his judgment to, through the saving work of Jesus, we, we God's people become what? God's children. Members of God's home, his household. It's family language. It's a massive act of love, isn't it? And sometimes, you know, the courtroom analogy uh, that is used, you you're, say you're standing before the judge and you're guilty. Let's say you're a homeless young adult and you've stolen someone's wallet. You're guilty. But the judge himself, he pays the fine in, in your place. He doesn't then just send you back to the streets, though that would be a loving act, paying the fine and then just sending you off to get on with your, your life. Though he doesn't do that. Instead, he pays the fine and he adopts you into his family. 
not as an employee of some kind, not, not as a boarder, but as his child. And so you get all the rights and all the privileges that belong to the children of this judge. Who are you? You trust in Jesus. You're a child of God. He pays the fine. He brings you into his household. And our Lord Jesus, uh, the God-man, the righteous one, becomes our big brother. So it's appropriate to call Jesus your brother, your big brother. Uh, J.I. Pack has written a book called Knowing God, which is, you know, reasonably famous. He's got a chapter on adoption. And there should be a, there's the quote there. Let me read that for you. He says, you sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Now, when I was an electrician, an apprentice in Canberra, that truth really came alive for me. I was busy defining myself by occupation. Uh, I saw myself as a dirty first-year apprentice in a wealthy white-collar city. I felt small and ordinary and inferior to those around me. But God says I'm his child. And that truth, it really does transform the believer's whole outward look on life. No matter what else is going on, you trust in Jesus. You're his dearly loved child. Whether you're sweeping floors on a construction site as a first-year apprentice or changing nappies with the newborn, or if you're in some high-powered job where you're tempted to think too much of yourself, or you're older and, and just functioning is getting harder and harder. I'm a child of God. You tell yourself that. I'm a child of God. There's, there's nothing richer than this. There is no identity that is more fulfilling there isn't. And while for the believer this is a present reality, you trust in Jesus, well, you're a child of God right now. John says in the second half of verse 3, you look at this, he says, but what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him as he is. It's not that we're going to transition from being God's children to something else. But that John points us again to the life which is to come. The child of God might actually look pretty ordinary at the moment. Here and now as we struggle to live for Jesus. Certainly we don't understand, 
We don't stand out in the world as being God's glorious children. And just as the world didn't know Jesus, Jesus says, so they don't know you. But on that final day, the struggle with sin will be over, finished. Our mixed affections, our messed up anxieties will be finally done with. And John says we'll be like him as he is. That's a staggering thought, isn't it? Being like Jesus, our big brother, (laughs) the righteous one. But even now, verse 3, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. Did you pick this up? I guess I've been avoiding it. John has been saying, hasn't he, those who are born of God are like him. Uh, Verse 29 of chapter 2, they're righteous. Uh, verse 3 of chapter 3, purifying ourselves. And look at chapter 3, verse 6. We read, no one who lives in him, that's that connected fellowship language, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. That's challenging, isn't it? What is sin anyway? Look at verse 4 and 5. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. How do you think of sin? I reckon more typically we just think of sin as transgression, breaking a law. And it is that. But you see in verse 4, John also says that sin is lawlessness. That is, instead of accepting God as the righteous one, the, the one who decides what is right and wrong, whose character and actions define what is good and bad, to be lawless is to say, I'm not going to listen to you, God. I'll go my way. You may have heard that song by Frank Sinatra. It's popular at funerals, or it has been for many years, uh, My Way. Uh, some, some of the lyrics, I, I now know the end is here. If, you know, it's coming. <laughs> you, uh, and uh, I now know the end is here. And so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a full a life that's full. I've travelled each and every highway and more, much more. I did it. I did it my way. I did it. I did it my way. And we celebrate this as a culture. You know, do you <laughs> do it your way? Doing it my way. That that is what sin is. Doing it my way. That's the Bible's definition of sin. Look at verse 7 and 8 with me. He says, Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work 
You see here that John is warning his reader. Don't follow those departed ones, those who are doing it their way, those who don't believe the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the God-man. As confident as they might seem, as morally impressive as they may appear, as powerful as they could be, they're not right with God, they're children of the devil. You see, when it comes to identity, it boils down to just two, according to the Bible, the family of God or the family of the devil. And to be in the family of God is to do it God's way. I am not my own, I belong to God. I think a further extension of that judge illustration is helpful. The homeless young adult who knocked off the wallet, it's no, he's no longer homeless. He jumped in the Rolls Royce and was transported to the mansion, uh, drinking gin and tonics with the old judge, you know, uh, bantering with the judge because that's the nature of the relationship, living in a pretty sweet situation. Yet having been living in that new family for a while, the young adult falls into that bad habit and they steal someone's wallet. Where is it to from here? Is it turfed out of the family? No. No, the loving dad, the, the loving parent, the judge, comes alongside and says, that's, that's not how we do it in this family, man. Do you see what you have? We don't steal. It's not our family culture. And the young adult doesn't say, but I'm good at it. That'd be odd. But the young adult begins to own their new family culture. And I reckon this is where the analogy of it breaks down because being a part of God's family is not just adoption, as wonderful as that is. It's also, what was the language? It's new birth, born of God, says John. The believer is a new creation. So why won't, why can't the believer continue in sin? Look at verse 9. Uh, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And you may know the seed that John is talking about is God the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. God himself indwells his people and he gives us life, new life in Christ, born of God, and sometimes we see this dramatic change in a person, but most often it's steady transformation from the inside to the out as God reshapes his people by his word and spirit. What family do you belong to? Child of God or child of the, the devil? It has to be one or the other. Uh, has it been, I, I did it, I did it my way for you? Well, if that's the case, Jesus, the righteous one, died the death you deserve, if only you trust in him. 
How do you define yourself? Who are you? Don't go with some weak substandard identity. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we be called children of God. And see how this most wonderful reality transforms absolutely everything else in life. Even as we struggle and sin and look to the righteous one who died in our place. And he comes alongside and says, that's not our family culture. Let's get on with it. Why don't we pray along those lines? Let's, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, that identity stuff is confronting. Uh, and we know we're a people who hold our identities strong. Uh, we like to define ourselves. Uh, but Lord, you say when it comes to it, we either order ourselves under you, that we enjoy you and, and live for you through the saving work of Jesus, or we do it our way, which leads to destruction. Lord, we're sorry for doing it our way in all kinds of different things and contexts. And we thank you for the God-man who died. And Lord, we thank you too that as we trust in you, it's not just try harder, but you give us your spirit and you change us, you enable us to want to live under your loving care. And Lord, we thank you that uh, those who trust in Jesus are your children, uh, that heaven is our home, that Jesus is our big brother. And we look forward to that day, that glorious day when you make all things new. Uh, please, Lord, help us enjoy you. And we pray all this in our Master and Saviour's name. Amen.